Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Welcome to the Risk Never Sleeps podcast, in which we learn about the people that are on the front lines delivering and protecting patient care. I'm Ed Gaudet, the host of our program, and today I am pleased to be joined by Chani Cordero, Chief Information Officer at Brook Army Medical Center. Welcome, Chani. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the invitation to be on this afternoon. Yes. Thank you for joining us. I did some research on your impressive background, a lot of years in healthcare and IT. So let's just jump right in. What Tell us about your current role in your current organization. Sure, sure. Happy to share. First, before I start, I have to do my standard disclaimer. I, I am a part of the military health system. And so I have to uh, just put a disclaimer out there that I, that these views that I share today are my own and that they're my own experiences and it's not a reflection upon the Department of Defense or the Defense Health Agency. But with that being said, I'm happy to serve as the Chief Information Officer at Book Army Medical Center here in uh, San Antonio, Texas. We're a 425-bed level one trauma hospital and we have a full range of services, you know, from primary ambulatory care, up into end-of-life care. We have tons of specialties that are world-renowned, like our world-renowned burn center, mm-hmm. our centers in Retrepid, and then, of course, all of our specialty surge, specialty clinics, ranging from a GI to oncology to pediatric services. We're a little bit different in most military treatment hospitals because we are a level one trauma hospital. We actually see uh, civilians um, in our facility, which is uh, unusual. But we service half of San Antonio along with the other uh, level one trauma hospital. And so we have some unique perspectives as we have different classes of beneficiaries that's available for care in our system. Okay, great. And how did she get into healthcare? It's actually kind of a a funny story because I started out as a med school hopeful. Mm. And so I have a degree in chemistry. And while I was going to college, you know, I heard about the Army and about scholarships. And I always wanted to serve my mom and my both my parents, I should say, are our proud veterans. Mm. And so I decided to join the military as a reservist. And so while I was in college, I my job as a reservist was an operating room technician. And so I was working at the mall and said, hey, instead of working at the mall, why don't you go actually work as an operating room technician? I did. And while I, I was working in a hospital here in San Antonio, and I had to deal with some really sick patients. Mm. And the last patient made me realize that I, I don't know if I actually be, want to be around sick people. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm a junior in college with this degree in chemistry. And so I realized that I still want to be in the business of healthcare, mm-hmm. but maybe in, not in direct patient care. You know, what I used to do on my own time, and it's just the 90s, right? And so figuring out what I could do with automation was always fascinating to me. I realized, why would I not do something in IT, which is my natural interest? I mean, some girls like to go to shoe stores. I like to go to Best Buy when I'm bored, right? This is how I marry uh, both my love for healthcare without Mm -hmm. actually catching a patient (laughs) with my love of IT. Yeah. That's great. And you can still obviously make a huge impact on the healthcare side with IT, which is fantastic. So as you think about the last couple of years, been tough for a lot of folks in healthcare. What are your top three priorities or strategic initiatives over the next two years? Thanks for asking that because 
Healthcare and IT are the two, two top industries that just constant change. And as you mentioned, with COVID really putting a strain on not just on the medical care and resources, but the, the most important resources, people. It puts such a strain on people. And now you marry it with technology that changes so quickly, right? Moore's Law, right? It changes exponentially. And technology that was great five years ago, it's, it's obsolete now. Right. And so as we, for me as a CIO, I look at how do I build for the future? I need to focus on the infrastructure, right? Because if you don't have the, the ground is not ready, then how are you going to onboard new technologies? And so we're looking at how do we upgrade our facilities um, from cabling, from uh, cellular service and network services so, so that we'll, we'll be prepared for the next generation of automation tools that's probably in development as we speak, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so that's one area that we're looking at. Second mm -hmm. area, though, is that healthcare is also consumed by lack of resources. Mm -hmm. And so what do we look at in our portfolio and see how do we streamline it? be more efficient with the tools that we have. And so how do we optimize that maybe the tool A does A, B, and C, or tool B, B does B, C, A, and mm -hmm. maybe a little bit of E. Can I sunset one of these and save the organization some resources? And the third thing is just growing our bench. And that's what I talk about on my other side, my other duty of being a consultant to the Army Surgeon General for healthcare CIOs is how do I prepare the next generation of healthcare CIOs? What type of training and competencies do we need to look at now so that our force is prepared for the challenges that will be coming about? Mm, yeah, I love that. And uh, your background where you spent time as an adjunct professor, I think really plays into that, that mix of education as well as leadership and technology is so critical to our industry. Definitely. When you mentioned a couple of letters there earlier, what about the letters A and I? <laughs> are you looking at AI in any in any way at the at the health system? We are, of course. It's always been there, right? And we've always had machine learning in some capacity and and some automation tools. And this is like the new bus, the new the buzzwords. Mm. Like it used to be the blockchain. Right. <laughs> and right now it's like AI, AI, but really what we mean is chat GPT, right? And being able to take that natural language processing and doing something with it. And so of course, just being part of the DOD, I'm limited to federal law when it comes to what tools that we use, if it's on premise or if it's on the cloud. And so there is some initiatives that I am working with our version of corporate, right, at our headquarters mm -hmm. that I have submitted as use cases that mm -hmm. I think that would be prime for AI. Right now, it's not in the clinical domain. It's more an administrative function that would help the clinician on the back end. But, you know, how do we use like robotic processing to, to eliminate some like mindless tasks? that maybe a clerk used into how do we make our policies a little bit more easier to read, but also available uh, right. for our staff members. Chani, you've got a lot on your plate. What keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? That being on CNN. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. That <laughs> way, not having the major breach or, or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I say that in just, but truthfully, what's unique about healthcare and, and security, there's a balance. I mean, you want to make sure that the your hospital protected. You want to make sure your patients are, are protected. But you also want to make sure that pair care delivery is delivered mm -hmm. and that the service, that the security doesn't outrun the service. Mm -hmm. And so what keeps me up at night is that 
we in the IT community failed a patient because we were more worried and concerned about the technology instead of the, the care that was delivered. I love that. You get the balance wrong. Let's get the balance. Yeah, I love that. So true. Sometimes we miss the forest through the trees. We're dealing with these technology initiatives or whatever, and then patients are going without care, which is a real problem. Great point. So we mentioned the pandemic, a tough couple of years. What are you most proud of over the last year, personally or professionally and or? Honestly, I would actually have to say my own personal growth. I mean, I, as, as leaders, we are taught how to lead and mm-hmm. you kind of stick to your principles. And how I changed my leadership style because of the pandemic. I was kind of brought up in that old school that if I don't see the whites of your eyes, you're not working. And and then I went to the opposite that, oh, everybody can work at home. <laughs> and so I had a personal growth in saying is that I need to adjust my leadership style to the times that we're in. And so because of that, I had to do some self-reflection to say, hey, Tony, the way you handle that situation, you could have did it differently. And you need to think about the generation that's coming into the workforce now and that people's mindset has changed. Does it mean that they're less dedicated and they're not, they don't care anymore? It's just that some of their focus is more onto themselves. And that's okay because a happier employee is going to be, or if you're happier at home, you're going to be happier at work. And so I have learned again to change my style and actually also say maybe I could have did it differently. I love that. And I, I love the, that you pointed out that this generation is really f- forcing the change, driving the change that we haven't seen in a long time and getting folks like myself who've been in business for a long time to really think differently and reflect upon, like you said, my leadership style, the way I handled things in the past and how to manage this hybrid or fully remote situation with employees, which you're right. Years ago, I would have said, no way. I used to joke, you can take all the time off you want on Friday or on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. that's your job. Like, <laughs> but now we're we, we work we, from little short Sunday. That, that's all right. Day. You could do it. You could do it. Saturday and Sunday work from home. Exactly. Yes. And now you have to actually embrace it and figure out how to build culture through it and with it. And so that's a really great point. So outside of healthcare, outside of IT, outside of the military, what would you be doing? What's your passion? You know, I really do love the field of healthcare and IT, which is why I spend a lot of time on it. But at home, funny enough, I actually like to have a vegetable garden. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's something so bland and boring, but I really like to grow. I just like to grow food. I like the idea of growing something that I can eat. Yeah. <laughs> and so- no, that's great. And it's so connected to things that we're not connected to when we're doing our day job, which is the earth and, like you said, patience of watching the growth and then applying it to our food, which is yeah. fantastic. I love that. And it's a reward yeah. of being able to say, hey, I did that. And I yeah. even like picking weeds, believe it or not. It's such a stuff we leave <laughs> I do not like picking weeds, <laughs> but I can see it though, yeah. I do get frustrated when I see them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. So if you could go back in time, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? I would tell your 20-year-old self to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that I know a lot of women in particular suffer from the, what do you call it, the syndrome? I can't think of the name of it, but it's basically where you feel like you're faking it mm-hmm. and that you, you don't deserve to be there. And so I have spent yeah. a lot of time and I have a lot of education and certifications because I wanted 
to, I felt like I had to do that to prove that I deserve to be at the table, not based on just my knowledge and my experience. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, those, those other opportunities allow to augment my knowledge, but I also did it as a way of validating that I deserve to be there. And that's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's such a great story to go and tell other women. I have three daughters and I'm constantly reminding them to believe in yourself, do the work, it'll pay off, stay focused on what matters. Don't sweat the small stuff. And that's really powerful. I love that. Imposter syndrome. And that's Imposter syndrome, yes. Imposter yes. syndrome, right. Yes, I have that some days. <laughs> Like, yeah, like, no, definitely. It's definitely yeah. not just limited to women yeah. in particular. Absolutely. Everybody feels like, why? Like, why am I here? Like, why do they invite no. me? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And I think I, I share with you, I, I write poetry when I'm not doing this. And I always feel like when I'm amidst among other poets, what am I doing here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. This is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. What is the riskiest thing you've ever done? Oh, oh the riskiest thing I ever done. Probably. So I had a near drowning incident when I was a kid. And oh. so I know this doesn't sound like terribly risky to anybody, but for me, it was to jump in the ocean. Just, I mean, obviously, best of friends and everybody nearby, but I was scared to death oh. because of my, you know, natural, I mean, just fear. And I, I was taking swimming lessons, and my children are, are champion swimmers, competitive swimmers, I should say. Oh, wow. And, but for me to be able to take, take that first jump, into the ocean and not die <laughs> internally. <laughs> yeah. And that was about maybe 20 years ago. But since then, even I just recently just came from the Caribbean and I oh. was snorkeling and jumped in the ocean and we're on a sandbar far away from the shore. And even that, that eternal alarm is in my head, but oh. still being a, to fight through that because how much I really enjoyed the activity. I bet. Yeah. It must be with you. It must stay with you as a, a sort of a reminder. It's interesting how we carry those things with us forever. Thank you for sharing that. And so I think we had a couple of questions about music and books and movies. So I don't know if you've ever heard this question before, but if you're on a desert island and you can only bring five books or five movies or five albums, what would they be? Yeah. So I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan. Oh, excellent. Excellent. The Michael, Michael Jackson collection. For movies, there's a movie called Peggy Sue Got Married. And it's like one of those very unheard of movies. But I really enjoy it because it talks about she's a woman who mm -hmm. has amnesia, wakes up, kind of li relives the same mistakes that she made in high school. Mm -hmm. But it makes me think about how we purposely make mistakes, but how do we learn from them? And it's okay to make mistakes, right? It's okay. Excellent. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yep. I also love the movie Crimson Tide. Oh, uh, yeah. Crimson Tide. It's yeah. a great leadership movie. It's just about being right, but also having relationships and what mm. that means and how do you lead others and how you not lead others. <laughs> Was that Nick Nolte in that? Thought, was it Nick Nolte? Was it? So I know it was Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman was in it. Ah, okay. Okay, good. Yeah. Yes. I'll have to go yes. back and look. I haven't seen that movie in years. That's a good one to go back and. My other favorite movie is called Riding in Cars with Boys. And again, it's one of those very, uh, very small movies. I've not seen that. Uh, I have to take a note of that one. <laughs> yes, Brittany Murphy's in that one. Oh, and all right. 
the E.T. girl. I can't remember her name out. Okay, I'll check it out. But she's in it. And again, in this movie is about choices. And the main line of the movie is that life is about four or five incidences that actually is the, the trajectory of your life. Just from those four or five incidences. And I always need to kind of reflect upon that. This was the moment that my life went A versus B, right? I agree. I think that's interesting. That's an interesting way to reflect on your life because I was just thinking about it the other day, how profound going into the military was in my life. And if I hadn't gone, and there's a whole backstory there, I can't imagine where I'd be today. I just, mm-hmm. it was so pinnacle in terms of a turning point in my life. But that's really good. I'll have to go back and check out that movie yeah. too. Yeah. We're just about ready to wrap up. What advice would you give to cyber professionals that are maybe just starting out in this industry or looking at healthcare and a general path in this profession? No, excellent question. Because I get a lot of cyber professionals asking for mentorship and I'm happy to do. And I think the biggest part is doing it because you actually have an interest in the field and not doing it just because what's the hottest field that makes you money. It is something that's easily burnt out. You're always fighting for resources and dollars. And to be honest with you, relevancy, be relevant. Yes, yeah. Most people could care less what you say or do. I mean, I know this is a listener full of cyber folks, but I actually despise security. (laughs) We also, we all despise security, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But it's always because it's like the one thing that's in your way, right? I know. Self-learned, my SISM and Security Plus, because Mm -hmm. I made myself understand it and learn and understand my risk tolerance or whatnot, Mm -hmm. but it's not something I enjoy. In my cyber team here, I have seven dedicated professionals and they love it. And they're fighting their face lights up when we we talk about it. And obviously we don't want to breach or anything like that. But when they have the opportunity to shine, they do. And and they do a a great job at it. Yeah, it it goes back to that balance of making sure that you're not just enforcing those controls, but also enabling the business to do its job. And like you said, take care of patients. If we're secure at 100%, but we can't care for patients, it's obviously not a good balance. All right. Record is safe, but you're probably going to die. That's right. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's right. We protected your identity. Yay. (laughs) That's That's great. That's a great way to end. Johnny, thank you so much for joining the program today. I really appreciate it. It's great to have you on and listen to your, your story and your background. This is Ed Gaudet from the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. If you're on the front lines protecting patients and delivering patient care, remember to stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information on how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T dot com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. And until next time, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps.